Welcome to the InfoGov Hot Seat Vodcast, featuring candid interviews with practitioners, consultants, and solution providers on hot topics in the information governance industry. Here's your host, Jim Merrifield. Well, hello, and welcome to the InfoGov Hot Seat. I'm your host, Jim Merrifield, and with me today is Lewis Eisen, founder of Perfect Policies. Welcome, Lewis. Hey, Jim. How you doing? Oh, it's great to see you. Now, Lewis, just to give you a little background on Lewis, he's going to give a little more information, but he's a lawyer. He's an IT manager. He's a business consultant. He's an information management specialist and a government policy writer. So that's a lot of hats uh, for one individual with individual to wear but let's allow lewis to just give a brief introduction of uh himself his role how long he's been doing this type of work and again one fun fact about yourself okay thanks i have to tell you the uh one thing i have to fix up about that introduction is there's those were all wases so i have been the lawyer and learned better and I was an IT manager and learned better so i've grown from each of these careers so certainly you can't wear them all at the same time um, but it gave me a really broad sense, uh, first of all, a good legal background to understand about the r- rules and uh, and a good chance to see what's going on in the information governance industry. So I've been doing, I guess, about eight years now, I've been teaching, exclusively teaching workshops on writing policy. Oh, you need a fun fact. You know what? People I do. call me the guy who makes policy fun. That honestly, because most people think policy is so boring, he's going to be dull. And no, actually, policy is really interesting if you've got the right person talking about it. Does that count? No, that's, that does count. It okay. does count because, listen, most to most people, including me, policies are not fun. But uh, we're going to get into that a little this bit is later. Be fun. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So, listen, we just saw each other uh, at the beginning of the month at uh, Arma, Jersey. It was great to meet you in person and uh, attend some sessions. Um, I know you'll be at a couple other events in the future, even speaking at those events. Did you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. We'll be running a pre-conference workshop on policy writing at Arma Canada Conference, which has got a lot of good speakers lined up for it. You're going to be coming up, I think, yourself. And another pre-conference workshop in Arma International in Detroit in the fall. Uh, I'll be speaking at Nagara this summer at their annual conference in Cincinnati and uh, a variety of other, other and sundry as we go along. But Yeah, that's awesome. I can't wait to see you again in person at those uh, couple of events. Look forward to your, your workshops and, and again, just networking with uh, with you as well. So let's talk a little bit about that book. That's actually, I, I'm, I'm assuming that these workshops are uh, based on the the knowledge from the book. Yeah. Um, and the title of the book is Rules, right? I don't know how many people like rules, but a guide to drafting respectful policies and directives. So let's talk a little bit about this book on rules. Okay. Uh, what made you, made you write this book? Well, so the subtitle is How to Write Rules That People Want to Follow. Because when I got into information management, Uh, the people who are working in records management, various areas, came up to me and said, nobody's listening to us. Nobody's following our rules. Nobody's complying with what we're doing. We're wasting our time. So I went and I looked at the rules. I looked at their policies, and they're full of all kinds of like really 
condescending terms like this will not be tolerated and you must do this and never do that. And you know what? You're yelling at people. No wonder they're not listening to you. And having a legal background, uh, I look at the way the criminal codes are written, not just all through the U.S., but around the world. They're all written very politely. The criminal codes are written in very matter of fact. Uh, someone who steals is guilty of theft. You're an adult. Govern yourself accordingly. There's no you must in any of the criminal. Nothing says this is forbidden. This is not tolerated. So we, well, it occurred to me that in IM specifically, in information governance, we had this situation where the, the most heinous rules in the country, the strictest laws were written more nicely than our corporate policy. So could we apply rules around that legislative drafting to the way we write our policies and get better compliance? That's what started this. No, that's really interesting. And this is the third edition. Right. Yes. So there's definitely a, a following here and lots to write about. So let's talk about a little bit of the highlights of the book. What are what are contained in the chapters of the third edition? By the way, I have a copy, right? I have an electronic digital copy here on my iPad. I look uh, forward to reading the entire book. But let's talk a little bit about uh, those chapters. OK, so the first uh, first thing we do is we we pull apart the fact most policies, you know, are like 40 pages long. Right. And it's because people throw in everything in the kitchen sink, mostly because they don't understand the difference between a policy and an office manual. And they write everything that should go into the office manual into the policy. There is a presumption out there uh, that people should read your policy, your I am policy. There's an anger when people don't read your policy. But I really find that totally misplaced. And I talk a lot about that in the book. You know, I, I'm sure you voted in an election, uh, Jim, at, at some point. Did you read the Elections Act first? That's the policy. You probably didn't, even though it applies to you. What you read was a little booklet that says how to vote. Nobody's going to read your policy on information governance who absolutely doesn't have to and isn't forced to. They're certainly not going to remember anything, but they will remember the manual. So the first part of the book is pulling out of the policy all the things that really belong in the manual and leave us with just the plain rules around what it is that we're doing. Then the second part of the book is about the difference between giving orders and setting standards. Okay, so a lot of times, uh, I'm going to use a simple example about, say, cleaning your room. You could say to your kid, I want you to clean your room, make the bed, put the clothes away, take the stuff off the floor, etc. Those are all procedure policy type things. But you could turn it around and say, let me tell you what a clean room looks like. The bed is made. The floor is clear of stuff. Clothes are in the closet. That's a standard. That's a target. And you can shop that standard around to all the different groups in your organization and say, can you meet this standard? What's it going to take? Half of them will go, oh, yeah, absolutely, I can meet that standard. And then half of them will go, Oh, I don't know. We, we don't do it that way. It's going to cost too much, etc. And you have the ability to say, well, what if we target 50% of your holdings meeting the standard by the end of the year and 100% to meet it by the end of next year? So this is a whole different approach to what policy about. This is not telling people what to do and them not listening. This is about setting a standard that they can buy into. Then there's a lot of discussion about how to get rid of must and, and may and shall because and should, because those words are so ambiguous. People think they're, oh, that's very clear. Must is mandatory and 
may is optional, but you get policy statements that say things like, um, the director must approve all requests for disposition. Well, you don't mean that. You mean the director has no choice but to approve all the requests for disposition? Is, is that what you're saying? The, the, no, I don't mean that. I mean that if there's an approval and there needs to be approval, it has to be the director. So there's a lot of stuff about how to word this stuff to get rid of this parent-child condescending tone and at the same time clarify what it is that your rule's about. And then finally, I talk about tying your policies to your corporate values because 80% of what you're, you're trying to get people to do, they'll go, yes, this is great, I understand, I'm happy. And 20% they're gonna go, no, 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 I can't, that's too much, take it away, uh, I don't do that. And we need to be able to sell it and we can't sell it by hitting them over the head with a compliance hammer because they don't care. Hmm. We can sell it if we can find some common values. Maybe we're both worried about accountability. So we are helping them meet their accountability in what we're doing. And we need to draw those lines. So that's the last part. How to write this. No, you, yeah, no, you certainly whet my appetite. I got to read that whole book. And I don't think it's that long, to be honest with you. It's not like a as long as a, you know, a policy. So no, um, I'm looking forward to it. And it's readable to... because if you write a book on policy that's boring, nobody's going to read it. So... No, for sure. I mean, I had, yeah, I mean, I had time in between meetings and, and I read the the introduction chapter and it was, it was an easy read uh, to me. I'm going to be traveling to some conferences. I'll be at Arma Canada and in Detroit. So I look forward to, you know, maybe uh, opening up on the plane there and, uh, you know, finishing the book. So again, thanks so much for whetting our appetite. Appreciate it. Um, so where can we purchase this book? I got mine, obviously an e-copy, but where can I, can we get a paper copy, yep, electronic copy? Yeah, books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, if you, This is an international podcast. Uh, Smith Books in the U.S., uh, uh, South Africa, uh, Australia, all the local bookstores uh, sell it. And oh, that's awesome. Kindle. You can get it on Kindle, too. So. Oh, cool. Cool. Awesome. Well, look forward to it. Thank you so much, Lewis. So let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, chat GPT, GPT technology has been all over the place. I mean, you you flip open the news on your phone yeah. or tablet or whatever. It's it's just on every web page. It's a very hot topic in legal industry, hot topic in really every industry. Uh, how how do you think companies can leverage this type of AI? Maybe perhaps in drafting policies or some other way. They certainly can leverage this tech kind of technology, but they have to ask it the right question. So I hear people saying, can't I just tell it, put together a policy for me? Give me a retention schedule. Give me, well, no, it can never do any of that for you because much of your policy is context-based. It's solving problems in your organization. Unless you're going to explain those problems to ChatGPT, your situation, it can't do that. What it can do is take your wording and soften it, word it take away that condescending tone. It can also tell you, if you threw all your policies there, it can tell you where you have duplication. It can tell you where you have conflict. It can tell you where you're either talking at too high a level or too low a level. There's a lot of language ability. It's never going to be able to tell you what the policy is, right? For sure. Yeah, I mean, but if you think about it, right? So let me ask a follow-up question to that. You know, I'm I have all these policies and, you know, I want to compare the two. 
but I'm very hesitant to use this type of technology because I don't want to put my company's data into this GPT type technology. You think that's a valid concern? Sure. And I think all, it's very easy to redact. Just take out the the names that identify you. Usually it's just at the beginning or just at the end. You know, that's. Yeah, no, maybe that's the key to redact. I mean, it's definitely uh, worth a look. Um, it'll be interesting to follow the stories and see where we end up with this type of technology. I think there's definitely opportunity uh, for companies to to utilize this type of technology, but it remains to be seen how companies can utilize this GPT technology in a secure and uh, compliant way, both on the you know maybe law firm side and on the on the company side as well. I, I'm looking at the moment of trying to put together some kind of instructions that you could feed ChatGPT to say, uh, reword my policy according to these rules. And then you'd have some control over the way that it that it did that. Yeah, that's an interesting concept. Um, love to be a beta user of that, <laughs> just to check that out. That's a, that's a cool concept. I love it. So let's talk about the InfoGov industry. Um, if you can look in your crystal ball, um, where do you see the industry in the next one to three years? Maybe talk about the next couple of years. Okay. I know three years is a far, yeah. far cry off. So we're spending a lot of time trying to um, hook up, um, put these all different groups together, you know, the access to and for freedom of information and the privacy people and the data people. And we're trying to get under one roof, but we really don't have a, um, a strategy to do that other than, well, why don't we sit down and see if we can be at the same meetings so I think in the next couple of years, we're going to start looking at policy combination, strategy combination, and taking a little bit more of a, an organized look at it. I also think that, um, or my hope is to tell you that, that regular organizations will start looking at information more along the way law firms look at it. When I was practicing law, I saw my job as doing the work and proving and producing evidence that proved I did the work, evidence that could be used in court. Documenting what I did was part of the work. And it wasn't until I started working in government and other organizations where they have workers over here and information governance over here that it even occurred to me that they were separate pieces. The uh, There's really got to be more awareness among general business that uh, they are responsible for producing records that can be relied on for documenting the future, more than just saying everyone is responsible for information management, which is which is what we said in the past, so that we actually are clear about the roles that each individual plays and each of these other groups play in the public. That's where I think we're going to have to go. Well, I guess we'll have to wait and see, but I think those are definitely some great insights into uh, where the profession's going. And uh, it'll remain to be seen. I'm sure we'll learn. The both of us will learn a lot at the the conferences that we're we're attending this summer, and on into the fall. And again, I look forward to uh, to networking with you and like-minded individuals. Uh, any final words for our audience today? Um, no, I just uh, be nice to each other. That's that's the rule. Even be nice to the people you need to give instructions to. No, it's wise advice. I mean. Don't use should, must, or what's the other one? Should, must, must and may, something else. Even may, may, may. All yeah. those are, they're all parental. 
There are ways to reword them that mean exactly the same thing that are just as strict that don't use that parental terminology. Now, that's good advice. Wise advice. Well, listen, thank you, Lewis, uh, for being on the hot seat today. It was a tremendous honor to have you on on the show. Uh, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, no, you got it. And uh, thank you, everyone, for attending today's episode of the InfoGov Hot Seat. We ask you to please visit our website, infogovhotseat.com, to view our latest episodes. Again, I didn't say must. You can if you'd like. <laughs> if you'd like to be a guest on the InfoGov Hot Seat, just like Lewis here, please submit your information through our website. And thank you so much and enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you for listening to another episode of the InfoGov Hot Seat. Follow us on Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and LinkedIn. Check out our main website at infogovhotseat.com to view our latest episodes and much more.